Thanks for joining us for episode two of the Race Ride Seat podcast. I'm here at the Curve Cycling virtual shed. Um, just opened myself uh, an Asahi today, actually. Um, so grab yourself a beer, grab yourself a cup of tea, cup of coffee, a water, whatever you like. Make yourself at home because today we're going to hear from Sarah Hammond. Um, Sarah Hammond blasted onto the endurance cycling scene in the unsupported world about a year ago um, and remarkably she's done three of these huge distance races in in the last year most people only can stomach one every couple of years I know I I've only been able to manage one every two years um, I must be getting old and my body keeps breaking down anyway that's not the case with Sarah she's done three of these in the last year which is remarkable um, she blasted onto the scene in the Transamerica race about a year ago remarkably she was winning the whole race in her first ever attempt at one of these things averaging over 400 k's a day um it was remarkable um she faced some issues about seven days in still battled her way to the finish second place woman six eight overall bloody amazing job incredible blew everyone's minds it was fantastic um not happy with that she backed that race up with the race to the rock first i think it was a fourth ever mountain bike race only a few months later um she hadn't recovered from the trans am and thought she'd just um have another go at a race um she was the only person to finish that race um in a remarkable effort huge distances between services very remote off-road riding um through central australia remarkable stuff um and then also in the indian pacific wheel race earlier this year um, Sarah was in third place behind Christoph Alligate and Mike Hall not too far behind Mike actually um, when the race was cancelled after Mike's tragic death um, something that we're all, all still still reeling from to be honest um, but that was a remarkable performance from Sarah in that, that race as well so in this podcast we could cover all sorts of stuff with Sarah but I thought it might just be interesting to hear some tales from the road so what you're going to get out of this is you're going to hear about, I guess, lying about preparation, lying to your friends about preparation. You're going to hear about um, probably the scariest story I've ever heard in, in an ultra endurance cycling event. And um, yeah, you're going to just hear about winging it, I think. I think that's what Sarah's theme has been over the last few years, um, or the last year in these races. She, she just seems to, well, she says she's winging it. I think there's more to it than that, though. Anyway, see what you think. Sarah Hammond, welcome to the virtual curve shed. Hi. Although, although we're actually very close to the we're curve shed. We're actually at the shed. We're actually at the we're shed. Outside the shed. Mm. Getting some rare Melbourne sunshine in the winter. Um, so we're very lucky to have Sarah with us today. So, Sarah, maybe I've been told to tell to ask some questions that make you feel comfortable <laughs> before we get to harder questions. Icebreakers. Yeah, some icebreakers. Um, so maybe tell us about the first time you thought you went for a long ride. Hundred oh, K ride. I've told this story a few times to people. It's when you thought you were riding long, and in comparison to now, you wouldn't get out of bed for anything worse than. My first hundred K was horrific. It was actually about 140 kilometres of which I'd never ridden further than 70k and never ridden on a proper road bike. So I always had like a hybrid flat bar kind of junk bike that I used to burn around on. And I decided to sign up for, it was like a charity ride after the Marysville fires and it was like 140k and I'm like, oh yeah, I can do that. So the night before I get my first road bike, drop bars, no idea how to use them, bike wasn't fitted to me. Still couldn't drink water from the bike without having to stop it. So total, total beginner. So I set out for this ride the next day, go, yeah, I got this. Um, get about 70 kilometers through, thinking, yeah, 30K to go. I'm oh, sorry, 50K or whatever it was to go. We'll be fine. It's getting tired. Got to about the 100k mark, rolled back into Marysville, and then I see that the finishing line is the summit of Lake Mountain. And I'm like, right, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too bad with hills. I've done some hills before. And 
it was it scarred me it scarred me for years I walked my bike up the first six or seven K where you've got that steep grind at the start um, wondering how how people could even ride that it was totally beyond me that someone could push a bicycle up there and I had no food left, no water left, um, inappropriate clothing. You know, I'd bought all my cycling gear from Rebel Sport, so it didn't protect me from anything, including the insults. Um, and I think it took me over three hours to get to the top of Lake Mountain, um, of which when we got to the top, there was, there was snow by the top of it, so well and truly freezing, freezing to death. And... Um, yeah, it was the most grueling introduction to a 100k ride, but I didn't go back to Lake Mountain for about four years because it just, it, yeah, it scarred me. I did plenty of other climbs that were harder, but couldn't go back to that one, so. So why didn't you just have that experience and go, you know what, stuff this, this isn't for me, this is <laughs> stupid. Um, what happened after that? Oh, it's still stupid. Um, there, was, there was a moment... There was, a, there was a few moments um, going up Lake Mountain where I kind of went, yeah, this is, this is beyond me. And I remember the people that I went up with that day had already finished the ride and they came burning down in the car and refused to pick me up, obviously already having some inkling into how my personality works or my stubbornness. Um, but I still feel like that even today. I, whether it's a 100k ride or riding across the country I still get to a point where I'm like this is stupid I don't want to do this it's it just the goalposts just keep moving it's, it's always going to be stupid <laughs> alright so that's that's the icebreaker it feels like it's the ice is broken I'm relaxed we're all relaxed yeah so we can move on. <laughs> we can move on now. So it's been a pretty, pretty wild year for you. I think I remember a little over a year ago, um, heading around to your place, helping you pack your bike up into a box with your bloody big beast of a dog slobbering all over me, making things three times as hard it's as supervising. It's supervising. <laughs> supervising. Yeah. Uh, and then took you down to the airport. <coughs> And said, right, okay, my job's done. We've mm. got her through customs. Now it's over to Air New Zealand. Um, so, and off you went to the Trans Am. So it's been Thanks it's been a pretty wild year. Um, so, I mean, now the Trans Am's on at the moment. Mm. Um, how do you feel <coughs> about the Trans Am now um, and <laughs> watching the event? Is it a bit weird? It's like another version of Lake Mountain. It just still scarred me. Um, it's It's interesting to watch it this time around um, with my brain intact um, and not, you know, spinning off my head on caffeine and the sleep deprivation and everything else that was going on through that race. Um, and it's watching people, you know, ride through certain towns and that and all the memories are kind of coming back of where I was at that point. Um, it's, it's, it's funny, watching it this last week, there's been a little part of me that's kind of gone, oh, do I want to do this race again? Because there's definitely a part of me that wants to do it again now that I have an idea of how to race. But as far as introductions to long races go, I went in the deep end pretty, pretty quickly. I was like, oh, well, gee, let's see how we go, 6,000. 800 kilometres without any experience whatsoever and the Trans Am still it still haunts me in ways and I know there were so many things that could have been done better and had I known or had I had experience or you know I can I can list everywhere I went wrong outside of the obvious ones that I still don't live down this day riding off course and all the other bits and pieces but um yeah so just what what happened there so you seriously rode, you rode off course just um mm. I know you probably I technically rode longer than anyone in that race <laughs> so extras. yeah 120 kilometers was it yeah Something so like I, it was sleep deprivation um and an inability I'm I'm not known for my um, experience with anything 
electronic or <laughs> navigations, not a word that's generally paired with my name. Um, but this point in time, I was seriously sleep deprived. I was in Montana and I'd had a bad night's sleep and rolled out and I had a couple of climbs that morning. I remember, I can't remember the name of the climbs. And I descended into wisdom. Um, I mean, the signs were all there. But I hadn't realised that my Garmin wasn't actually tracking the route. It was just showing me the base maps. And just in a haze, I was like, yep, I'll just keep following that orange line. It was just a main road. So off I went towards the divide. I was having a great time. It was much prettier than the course we were meant to be on through the plains. It was, you know, lots of these beautiful snow-peaked mountains and blue water and animals and all that kind of stuff. And I was having a great time and kind of wondering why there was nothing going on around me. And then I got to this, um, this pub and I think the penny started to drop that I was possibly off course because I wasn't recognising the signs. I wasn't seeing the listings for where I had to be and I walked into this pub to get a, a Red Bull and my phone connected to their Wi-Fi and there was about three million messages from people telling me that I was off course and about you know 400 phone calls from my sister who just kept calling me even then but I just I couldn't answer because I knew what I was gonna gonna be told so I um yeah and I remember telling the bar staff they're like, where are you off to? And I'm like, Yellowstone. And they just kind of looked at me going, mm-hmm, that's, that's a long way from here. And I'm like, I know, it's a race. And they're like, you are not getting there by nightfall. And I'm thinking, yeah, watch me. Um, but, yeah, not realising that they um, probably had a better idea of the um, geographical layout than I did. So um, I ordered another Red Bull... <laughs> and then had to make my way back and then later found out that what was it it was wise creek was the name of the place where i turned around (laughs) there's the signs so So, wrong wrong turn of wisdom and you learnt the mistake wise Wise creek or rise river or whatever it was yeah so i didn't yeah i didn't have a choice i just had to kind of you know wear it and i was really annoyed because i had a headwind on the way back but um yeah got back to wisdom refueled and I'd only slipped back one place, so I slipped back to second from first that day. But, um, I mean, that was, yeah, that was just, uh, this shit happens. <laughs> there was plenty of other things that went wrong in that race for me as well. But, yeah, that one was the one that was probably most um, highlighted. So, going into the Trans Am, what experience did you have, you know, with sleeping in the dirt and camping out and all that sort of thing? None. <laughs> I lied about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did a couple of overnighters. I did one two weeks before the Trans Am, and I got bored. I rode out towards, um, oh, God, it was out towards Wallen, and I decided to leave at 10 o'clock at night and just kept riding until I got tired and ended up pulling pulling up at about 2.33 in the morning, tried to lie down and just went, this shit, I'm bored, and just rode home and then told everyone, yeah, 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 I did a couple of overnighters, I'll be fine. Um, yeah, I have a habit of just winging it. Um, it's got me by so far. So I had no experience with overnighters. I had no experience sleeping in the dirt. I had no experience repacking my bike for multiple days. Um, I definitely had no experience navigating. Uh, yeah, it was all new. The only thing I had experience with was riding a bike. (laughs) Um, not for that distance and not for you know multi-day multi-day riding i've done a couple of you know big weekends but i still think my largest ride was i think the oppie or something which was 470 kilometers in one day and i didn't back that up the next day with anything i went home and slept um so yeah my experience was quite limited the rest of it was yeah just running on (laughs) fluke (laughs) and how did you feel after you finished it after that that event you got to the end in Astoria and um yeah how did it feel to get through such a big Virginia like that? oh sorry yeah, yeah Yorktown <laughs> that's yeah. alright how did you how did you feel at the end of 
six and a half or well, six thousand eight hundred k's plus oh. 120. <laughs> when i found when i found the finishing yeah, line eventually kept doing circles i had to grab one of the one of the guys in the golf carts from one of the like resorts and i'm like where is this bloody monument so i keep like backtracking along the beach going it's definitely not on the beach um oh look there was of course relief that it was over um and you know happy that it, it was finished but i wasn't happy with my race um everyone else is more happy with my ride than i was um i'm still not happy with it but what weren't you happy with uh it's it didn't it's not how it uh, i i let i let it get on top of me um i made a decision when everything turned to shit in colorado that my my frame of mind went from racing to oh, let's just get to the end um and as much as that to anybody would be an achievement it is almost letting yourself off the hook it's saying yeah that's cool we're still going to finish this but we're not going to go as hard as we did at the start um and and that's what i talk about or we talk about a lot when we talk about these races um it's you know you have a choice in how you want to ride this and it's, it's differently it's different for everybody and it's about having no regrets and i have a lot of regrets about that race because i did give my myself permission to go easier my days got shorter and my breaks got longer i sat down more i gave i let people tell me to take breaks or that i shouldn't you know that i should sleep longer and this and I had a lot of interference from the outside and that's that's something I've refused to do in my last two races. I've had no phone contact except with maybe one or two key people just for safety. Um, you need to you need to do these races on your own. Um, and yeah, for me I just yeah you know, there were so many times I know I lost hours just because I allowed it to happen. So as much as I got to the end, I knew I didn't fight back as hard as I could have had I had the experience. Um, yeah, so it still, it still shits me and it still eats at me sometimes, but I'm not going to... I've got to let it go. I've, I've let it go in my last two races. I've made a point of that. It's a, it's, it's a motivator. It's a driver. I'd like to go back and ride the race again, but shit, I could go back and there could be torrential rain and I could come in three days later again it's every race is different it's it's not always about how quickly you get there it's it's what you dealt with so if you're going to do it again what would you do differently no outside communication again like it, everything needs to be my decision um and i'd probably play it similar to the the indie pack i don't necessarily need to know where I'm positioned um it's more of a numbers game and that works for me in the indie pack and that's that's come with experience um what do you yeah. mean by a numbers game riding to a quota of kilometers a day rather than just trying to ride and race as hard as I could and that's what I did in Trans Am I just went like a bull out of the gates for the first week um and i let and i let that happen and that's fine and i got into colorado and a lot of things there are a lot of th factors involved there whether it was altitude or the fact that i kind of wasted myself and whatnot but um with the indie pack i stuck to a, a distance each day the first couple of days yeah i rode longer but we all do regardless because our legs are fresh and you know we're still happy um but after that then it becomes about you know what you can push out each day and you try and stick to that target and i did the numbers for the indie pack and i looked at the numbers of all the other big races and what these riders average a day and you know you're having to knock out over 400 kilometers a day that's how you win these races it's you hit the target and you should finish up the front so I would use that again and and it worked in the indie pack like i didn't know where i was positioned a lot of people didn't realize this but i had no idea where i was on the tracker for i think five or six days or wherever whatever it was only because 
some guy in a servo came up and went, oh, hey, you're coming third or you're coming fourth or whatever it was at the time. It was fourth because I was behind Seb, I think, at that point. And I was like, shit, I didn't want to know because all of a sudden it changed the dynamic for me because then I was like, shit, there's someone behind me or there's someone I have to chase down. So I went from playing a numbers game to then going, I'm racing. So that's that doesn't always work for me. Um, yeah, but who's to say, like... You don't know. You don't know until the race starts and the conditions you're faced with. And you might you might not be able to do 400 kilometres in a day because it's all climbing. I, I don't know. Um. All right. So we've been talking a lot about the Indy Pack. Well, in kind of. talking about the the Trans Am. Um, but let's get to the Indy Pack in a little bit. Um, so you got back from we, we're going through the last year really here. So you got back from the Trans Am. That would have been late June? Yeah. Early July? The start of July. And yeah. then it usually takes months to recover from these sorts of things, but then in September yeah. you thought you'd just do Race the Rock. Mm. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Well, that was on the back end of the Trans Am with coming home feeling unsatisfied. Um, I had no intention of doing that race. I don't do dirt. I still can't do dirt. Um, Race of the Rock was easy. It was a straight line. It's like, just follow the line. Um, yeah, no, I got home and, you know, once I got over beating myself up, um, and I was torched when I got home from that physically and mentally. But I guess the the coming home and not being content with how that race unfolded is what's the perfect solution go out and do another race and I wasn't going to and everyone's like oh you're going to do it I'm like nah, not not even going to happen and I think it was two weeks before the race was on um I went oh all right let's do this and just kind of you know went into total chaos just like I need a bike I need this I need time off I need money I need equipment um oh yeah I should probably learn how to ride the bike too um yeah I'll figure that out on the race so yeah, that was that was my chance to try and fix my head as well as race again and and see some pretty awesome parts of Australia. And that's that's the stuff I always forget to talk about. You talk about all the the, the, the torment in these races, but I actually enjoy these races because you see some pretty amazing stuff, and you don't get to see that often the bike takes you to places that you can't generally get to mm. what were some of the amazing things you saw on on race the rock oh, it's always the sky for me it doesn't matter where i am um but there was something about once you got right into the, the heart of that race like towards the Udnadatta track or trail um yeah the skies are just endless um just lots of colours, lots of stars, just, you know, these 360 degree views. Um, and just, it's just the colour out there. Everything's redder, everything's greener, everything's blue. Uh, um, and obviously, throwing, you know, unseasonable rain after X amount of years and everything's flourishing. Like, there was more wildflowers, there was more grass out there than farmers had ever seen. Like, um, there's more mud. Um, but it's it was beautiful. Even even the even the areas that were unrideable or quite starved still were still beautiful. Um, yeah, it's again like a lot of it's a bit hazy for me mm. still, but it's always the sky, and the same was with the indie pack as well. Mm. So Race the Rock, that was going to be your <clears throat> your chance of redemption to hmm. sort of make yourself feel a bit better if you, it sounds like you wanted to feel a little bit better after the Trans Am to right some of the wrongs. Did you did you get that feeling after it? Did you mm. feel like, okay, yeah, I've, um, I've righted some of those wrongs, I feel a bit better about things? Yeah, there was still, I'll always find things that can be done differently and that's just, that's how I operate. So I could win a race and still go, yeah, I could have done it better. Um, but yes, I did. Like, I, I pushed myself harder this time. I had no choice but to rely on my own decisions. 
um, because there's not a lot of phone reception out there. So regardless of my decision not to have my phone on, um, I couldn't if I wanted. Um, and I ended up destroying my phone anyway in the last couple of days. But it was good because everything was my decision. And this wasn't like the Trans Am where every 50 kilometres there was a 24-hour servo or somewhere to seek shelter. Um, you had to make decisions that could potentially carry you through the next 200k or the next 600 kilometres, depending on how you time stuff. Um, and then there was the conditions of the race. As we all know, the, um, most of the roads were closed and destroyed from this rain and it was just, you know, mud pits and creek crossings and it's, um, yeah, it's... There were a lot of moments in that race where you just... It was like this... I remember the first the first time I went into the Udnadatta track and it was like 9 o'clock at night and I rolled into this town, Marie, Murray, whatever it was, and I rolled up to this sign. It was pitch black and it's got, you know, this big sign and it just has every single road option, this big red sign next to it saying, close, 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 close. And I'm like, what the fuck am I meant to do? Um, roll back into the town and started talking to the locals and, you know, they're like, oh, no, it's fine. There's just a little bit of mud. And I'm like, all right. And, you know, you roll back out there, you've filled up your water supply, you've cleaned the pub out of every bag of peanuts and chocolate bar that they have because you don't know if you're going to find food for the next 200k. And there was this, this moment when I rolled back to the sign because there's another sign that accompanies it saying, warning, you are going into pretty much no man's land. There is no food, there is no water. You know, it basically says no one will hear you scream. No one will save you. And it was kind of exciting. Um, and then you roll past this sign and you're like, right, we're doing this. You know, it's just completely pitch black. And it was like, that was, in that race in particular, that's where I think it all started. Like the rest of it was fairly manageable and there was services. Um, more regularly but yeah there was there was something really cool about that moment where I was like right I'm doing something crazy or adventurous and you know and then like two seconds later it was yeah there's a little bit of mud (laughs) it's like a mud pit and I was like yeah this is gonna be great but um yeah there was it was exciting did you have any scary experiences (laughs) out there have you been scared out there before on these races no I haven't been scared. There's been moments of concern. Um, but uh, people say that. They're like, how can you be out there on your own? Like, aren't you scared? And I'm like, I think people are more scared of us. And that's happened a couple of times in races where people have challenged me and said, well, you're the nut job out here at 3 a.m. pushing a bike through a mud pit. Um, I had one Wolf Creek moment in Race to the Rock, and that was just some local that decided to tail me at like 15k an hour with his high beams on and then drove ahead and stopped and then started walking towards me offering me a lift as and I'm just like he's gonna kill me that's it this is gonna it's like he's gonna steal my bike he's gonna put my head on a stick and (laughs) that's it but he didn't and I'm like what can I do what like I turn my lights off and just ride off into the nothing but um, no, I wasn't... So but what did you do? I just kept riding. I was just like, no, thank you, I'm fine. There's a town up here. I'm like, 100 kilometres. Um, but yeah, they must think you're nuts. They're like... And especially without without playing the gender card, like, you see a, a woman on a bike in the middle of nowhere, and it's just like, what are, what are they doing? And I had that same experience in the Indy Pack, and I've spoken about that before, where a couple of people decided to get a kick out of their evening and scare the shit out of me and that was probably the only other time I've ever been scared but when two people in you know 
made-up Jason masks wielding fake weapons come running at you at 100 miles an hour in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, you get a little bit scared. Hang on, hang on, hang on. you gotta, you got to explain this a little bit better. <laughs> Jason masks? <laughs> no, what's going on? What's a Jason mask? You know, like Friday the 13th. Right, so just like, hang on. We're all, we're all here in the <laughs> virtual you got to talk us through this. What okay. happened? This is on the Indie Pack now. Indie Pack. Um... So I'd ridden through Robe towards... Must have been Millicent, maybe. I was heading there maybe that night, but there was beach a beach port, port. Yeah. thank you, before that. And it was about 2.30 in the morning. Um, and I was riding, and I was really struggling to stay awake, which was pretty much for the whole two weeks. And... I remember seeing a car up the road, or a ute, it was a ute, and I was like, oh, someone must be out here that knows the race is on. Like, you get used to that, you're just used to people appearing out of nowhere at 3am. Um, totally acceptable when you're racing, not when you're not racing, and when you're not racing it's creepy. Um, and I got a little bit closer to this car and then all of a sudden from the right side, from these bushes, these two kids, like young 20-something kids, came out with like these Jason masks and Google Friday the 13th, people. <laughs> it's horrific. So when you haven't had any sleep in like oh, over a week. What and time of day is this? It wasn't day. It was night time. <laughs> yeah. So it was like 2.30 in the morning. Wow. Or 3 a.m. So they come running out of the bushes, the two of them, with pretend weapons, just screaming at me like, like this just come running at your bike. And you're just like, this is not a hallucination. This is not a hallucination. And so I just buckled, I unclipped and just kind of went into like the fetal position, like screaming, but also laughing and not understanding what was actually happening. And then they just start laughing and then I'm laughing and I remember just looking at them going, you guys are the most messed up fans I've ever seen following this race. And they're like, what race? And I'm like, wow, you guys are just just purebred psychos, just out here in the middle of nowhere. And they're like, wow, she's taking this really well. And I'm like, what's going on? And they were literally just out there just driving and saw me. And they said that anyone out there at that time in the morning riding a bike is nuts so she should be up for something like this and then one of them goes to get their laptop out of the bushes because they were trying to film it and i'm just like are these guys serious however they did wake me up and i took a photo so people would believe me about this story and then i shook their hands and thanked them because they did what caffeine couldn't do and i made it to millicent that night and it was brilliant yet scary and just horrifying Oh wow! So. That's I, I reckon that's gonna be one of the best tales <laughs> I've ever had. Um, all right, so maybe let's maybe now let's talk a little bit about the indie pack. So this is would have been your third third big big race like this within a year. Um, yeah, Ten months. Yeah, the indie pack. Tell us a little bit about that. Um. Oh, so much you can talk about. Indie Pack for me was another chance. Like every race is another chance to ride well and whatnot. But um, I actually trained for this and I was ready for this race. I've already touched on how I was going to race it as far as the numbers game. Um, but like everything was aligned really well um the lineup like people the people that were coming to race this race everything about it was um it was awesome um i wanted to see how i fared against the best um and whether my method would work and if i could push back this time when it got too hard <clears throat> race of the rock wasn't as long obviously as the Trans Am and Indy Pack so again I knew that I had a week of about a window where let's see what happens in seven days can I get over that hump again and keep up what I did in the Trans Am for the first week um, with experience now and 
um, yeah, there was there was something I was I was shitting myself about the indie pack because I felt like there was a lot riding on it for me. Um, it was my chance to try and dig my foot in and yeah, um, it was an incredible race. What was it like with all the? How did it, how did it differ from the from the Trans Am? Um, it's funny. The Trans Am was longer by about a thousand kilometres or so. Yeah, I knew the Indy Pack was going to be harder. Um, the differences, I think, were more to do with me and my own expectations, but. Obviously, again, the Trans Am, the longest stretch you have is maybe 100 kilometres without services. Um, and the services over there are, you know, 24 hours in in some areas. Um, Indie Pack was, there was no messing around. Like, you were straight into it. Um, it didn't take long until you were in, like, a remote stretches. Like, the Nullarbor was, it undid people in this race. People... People who've done the Trans Am said that this was the hardest thing they've ever done. Um, I didn't struggle with the Nullarbor. Um, I think Race to the Rock set me up for that a little bit as far as being thrown into nothing for miles. But I think for a lot of people, these long straight roads with nothing to look at, nothing to distract you from your mind, um, is quite challenging. And that's, it's like any of these races, that's where the mental, the mental side of it is, or the mental game is. Um, so the Indy Pack had that, that was, you know, one of the highlights of this, this course. And then, you know, to put all the races through these long stretches and then thrust them back into reality. All of a sudden where you haven't spoken to anyone for five days and then they take you through a major city and you've got camera phones, camera phones, how old am I? Um, you've got cameras and, you know, people just coming out of the bushes like zombies at you. It's just... And then all of a sudden you're in major cities and there's traffic lights and... Then you finish the race with a shitload of climbing. You've completely torched your legs from all these these days of just flat, flat roads, big gears, just pounding it, just trying to get through these kilometres and then to put in that climbing in the last few days. Um, it was just a whole different challenge. Like the Trans Am had all the climbing at the start, the major climbing. But yeah, it was, um, yes, clever course. It looked like there were a lot of, um, a lot of fans out on course. There were big crowds that were greeting you and the other riders as you came through the cities. How did you find that? Um, Sometimes it was good, sometimes it was bad. <laughs> um, it's it's great. Look, it's that's what this race was about. It was about not just the riders, it was what was going on around the race, you know, the people that were being inspired to come out and cheer people on or you know, for me obviously coming through Melbourne or even Adelaide, I knew people in Adelaide and Melbourne and Sydney and um in the Trans Am, yeah, there was people on the sides of the streets and, you know, there was messages on the roads and that, but not in the way it was with the Indy Park. Like, this was insane. Once we got back to the built-up areas, like, that day I rolled into Port Augusta. That morning I rolled into Port Augusta. I think it wasn't long after that when I was coming through Clare. That was where I first started hitting patches of fans and it didn't stop until I finished um, and there's something kind of comforting about that is knowing that there's just, there's people out there that have just been waiting just to <laughs> cheer you on for two seconds um, especially when you come through your hometown because the people that are on the side of the street you generally know um, and that was quite energizing but um, yeah of course there were days where you're just like you know you, you couldn't deal with the, the attention or the or the people riding with you but it's um yeah that's that's part and parcel of these races. Some days you don't want to you don't want to speak to anyone. So 
probably not the cleanest segue, but as we all know, the race finished with Mike Hall's tragic death. And at that point, you you stopped you stopped your ride. You you went back home. Um, but a couple of weeks later, you went back out to finish the finish the course. Why did you Why did you do that? What was the What was the thinking there? Was it your way of trying to deal with that, or what did you? Was it nah. something you needed to do? What was What was happening there? I just had to finish the course. Um, uh, that wasn't going to happen at the time when the race was cancelled. Um, I didn't. I when I got the news, I physically couldn't turn the pedals anymore. It's all these people, you know, carrying on saying, you know, keep riding or. You know, that's what Mike would have wanted, all that. But for me, it was just an instant break. Um, and I was more concerned about others involved in the race and what they were having to endure. But once, um, once I kind of got back home and had a little bit of sleep, had some proper food, started to resemble a human being again, I knew instantly I had to go back and finish it, um, just for myself. I had to know that I got to the finishing line, not the way I wanted to. Um, as some people know, it was I was very close. It was looking like possibly the end of the following day that I might have finished. Um, so I wasn't far from the finishing line. So there was, you know, Christoph, Mike, and myself that were all going to finish within that, you know. 30, 40 hour window. Um, but um, that was hard. That was so hard. The race finishing so close to the finishing line. I know that's a selfish comment. Um, but um, yeah, for me, it just, yeah, there was, there was a bit of closure around the course and there was just, you know, finding some peace in what happened as well. Mm. So I, um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a case of fanfare at the end. You know, there was people at the opera house, and everybody was all happy, cheery, kind of yay. And that that's that wasn't the sensation I had rolling in that night. Um, I, I found it quite I found it quite sad. Like I was happy to finish the course, but the circumstances around why I was doing that, you know, two weeks later and. I had my moment on the Sydney Harbour Bridge before I actually got to the Opera House where I kind of just fell apart and, you know, reality kind of kicked in on what happened with the race. Um, but, yeah, it definitely felt better for getting to the finishing line, even if it's not the way that I saw it happening initially. So it was all very surreal, though, because it, it all happened so quickly. Yeah, I mean, I read... I rode that last stretch with you from Adaminibi through to Sydney to finish it off with you. And yeah, I was quite surprised at the at the end. I mean, I thought there'd be some sort of closure or something like that, but all it was, it just felt really sad. I mean, mm. that was, I guess, where we were hoping to share a beer with Mike at the end, and I was kind of thinking, well, maybe I could like finish, finish the ride off for him in a way, mm. but I was thinking maybe we'd get to the end and we'd feel you know happy there'd be some no. closure but it was just for me it was the saddest saddest time i can i can remember um but that's that's how i saw it even when the race got cancelled it was i already had this image in my head and we've spoken about this mm. um and i remember you know coming towards like i was on my way to kuma just before the race was cancelled and i was already playing it through my mind that sometime in the next 30 hours Christoph and Mike were going to be at the opera house and I was going to roll in and you know it was this that was the image burnt into my head for the last couple of days because I knew I knew where I was going to finish unless something major happened and that was that was awesome that was like wow I've just come in behind two people that I idolise, well, Christoph I got to meet for the first time. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's to, it's just, yeah, very surreal. It still is. It's 
it's still bizarre. And we spoke about that, saying, you know, we're going to go out and have a beer and have dinner and all that. Um, it was not to be the case. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's still it's still very <laughs> raw for a lot of us. And, yeah, it's one of those things. I don't think it's going to get better. It's just going to be different <laughs> from now on, yeah. unfortunately. Um, but anyway, so we can't we can't end this this little chat in the the virtual curve shed with that. We need to talk about what comes next. I think we all want to <laughs> continue on all the good stuff that that Mike was doing and and try to continue to maybe inspire others the way he he did or at least try to. Um, but yeah, so what what's next? What's next for you, Sarah? What's coming up? Well, race to the rock, I guess. You need to get an entry. Yeah, no. See, I was going to use that line. You beat me to it. Um, I was building it up. I was building atmosphere and it ruined my punchline. Okay, um, so let's start again. <laughs> yeah. What's next, Sarah? <laughs> if I get no. Um, race to the rock. I, um, I actually wasn't sure about doing it. Um, I had other plans. Um, we were both thinking about a race in June, um, but I think in light of everything that's happened, that just wasn't going to happen. But <clears throat> race to the rock, eh, I I enjoyed it last year, and the fact that it's from a different location this year, which means it'll be a completely different race, which is exciting. Um, but yeah, if I get in entry so um gotta get to the start line first let alone the finishing line so yeah that's the next one next one on the agenda um which is not too far away um so i need to actually start thinking about preparing for that soon just getting my body back into training mode and get my head back in the game which will come i heard as well um that it's that it's, um, I mean, we joke about it being difficult to get to the start line, but in this one, I think you need some permits too from Aboriginal communities, mm. um, and it's not a foregone foregone conclusion that you mm. actually just get them. You don't yeah. just get them automatically. There's a rumour that one of the organisers of the race got denied an application recently too, oh, wow. or a permit. I don't know, some guy. I don't know. It's not easy. Um, you need two permits. You need one from WA and one from the Northern Territory. And I can confirm that I only have one of the two. And I have applied for both, but I've only been approved for one. Um, So yeah, anyone can turn up to the start line and I'm sure there's gonna be people that just rock up, but sorry guys, you're not gonna get included in the race unless you get an application in. Um, but yeah, you need permits because the Great Central Road is um, protected land. Um, so yeah, there's a few more, few more little inclusions on this race. Um, makes it exciting. You don't want it to be too easy. It's not why we're doing this. It's not fun. It's not easy. All right. So <laughs> finally, before we start to clean up here in the in the virtual curve shed, is there anyone? you'd like to thank for for um, their help over the last year or so? No. No one. No one's helped me. No, there's been tons of people. Tons of people. <laughs> I know who I need to thank. I've got lots of people to thank. Uh, obviously you guys are right at the top of my list. Who's you guys? You guys. So Steve, Adam... <laughs> no, Curve. Curve have been amazing. Um, you guys are my family and you are my biggest supporters and you've given me awesome bikes to ride and have... Yeah, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> the bikes are really pretty. <laughs> the guys are really pretty. Um, well, no, Steve is. <laughs> Steve is very handsome. Um, no, you guys have been amazing. Um, you always have my back, and like I said, you guys are family more than you are support in any way. Um, you back me with any decisions that I make. Um, Rafa, of course, have had my back since um, 
since last year as well. Um, I've managed to product test the shit out of everything they give me and um, still bring back all their clothes completely torched and dirty and they've been amazing as well. I've had support from K-Light so they help me see at night. <laughs> um, SP Dino keeps keeps me going. Uh, Apigura, of course. Sorry. <laughs> so much support, I can't remember it all. Um, Apigura have been awesome as well. So, again, I've, I've run their bags through the ringers. Um, I've, look, I've been very lucky. I've had a lot of support, um, even from the Trans Am. Like, when I wasn't even racing, no one really knew what I might have been capable of or how I could ride, I had support and that's not just through sponsors, it's through friends and family as well. Um, even with Race to the Rock coming up, people knowing that I'm doing the race, I'm still getting hit with messages of people just saying, what do you need? Um, the support is non-stop, it's ongoing, um, but yeah, obviously key sponsors and then must feel good to have that support from from that network of friends and family. I mean, it's talk about solo unsupported racing, but it seems like you've got a small village or maybe yeah. maybe a large town who's um, supporting you and cheering you on. Yeah, it's it's nice. It's I still find it hard. I get a little overwhelmed still. I'm just like, yeah, I'm riding the bike. It's um, it's nice. It's nice to know that people are in your corner. Um, because I do sometimes just go, eh, what am I doing? I'm just, just out there throwing my bike across the country and I'm choosing to do that. Um, and people are happy to see me do that. Um, no, it's good. It's great. I'm very lucky. I'm fortunate. Okay, Sarah Hammond, thank you very much for your time in the Virtual Curve Lounge. Thank you. Shed, Virtual Curve Shed. shed. Gosh, i got to get this right. <laughs> You got very fluffy hair. Okay, that was Sarah Hammond live from the virtual curve shed. Some remarkable tales from the road there. I think that horror story one from South Australia during the Indy Pack with the Jason Masks is probably the scariest story I've heard in one of these races. Look, I can think of so many more questions I would have loved to ask Sarah. I just ran out of time. Um, don't be shy. If you've got any more things you'd like us to cover... Um, just let us know, get in touch with us here at Curve and hopefully we can follow up some of those questions with Sarah maybe in another podcast or maybe we can just get back to you directly anyway, that's all for today thanks for joining us here in the Virtual Curve Shed and thanks again to Sarah Hammond for joining us on the show talk to you again soon